You, you are now listening to the Project Kuwait. To the Project Kuwait. To the Project Kuwait. Where we stop at nothing to bring you the right facts on health, fitness, and psychology. Featuring some of the world's most experienced professionals. So you can learn, lift, and live. With your hosts, Meg, Dr. D, and Mandy. Welcome to the project, guys. We are joined again today by Kathy Cook, a holistic nutritionist and building biologist. You can check out her first episode with us, episode 110, all about EMF and its effects on your energy. And today she is back to talk to us about the Sleep Easy Method, which is launching on March 8th. 8th, March 8th. All right. Well, welcome back. Thanks. Yeah. Super fun to be back. I had a blast talking to you guys the first time. So I'm happy to talk about this uh, with you guys now. Yeah. Excellent. So what is the sleep easy method? Yes. So this is a labor of love for me. So I personally dealt with insomnia, pretty severe insomnia for gosh, close to 15 years. And during that time, you know, I just dug really, really, really deep into all things sleep to see, I mean, you know, to help myself and to get over this issue, which was just devastating for me. So during the course of that 15 years, I developed so much knowledge about sleep and how most of us are doing it completely wrong. Um, (laughs) And so after I learned all of this information, I realized, you know, I know that there are so many other people out there suffering from sleep issues. So I really wanted to bring this information to as many people as possible because I saw such huge changes in my health when I dialed all of this in and not just for sleep, but I mean, everything I started to do like balancing circadian rhythm and blood sugar and, you know, healing gut infections and all this stuff. I mean, everything in my life, all of my health symptoms started to improve. So I, I put all of this information into an online program it's an eight-week module program that just takes you through, you know, step by step everything that we have to do to improve our sleep and really to improve our overall health. Because when you're not sleeping well, everything suffers. You can't uh, out-train, yeah, poor sleep. Totally. <laughs> you can't, yeah, yeah it, it yeah, touches everything. Even, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, if you're not sleeping well and you're kicking your butt training, you know, the extra toxic. I mean, it just makes everything worse. Yeah. You're more likely to get injured. Your performance suffers more cortisol. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting knowing that this is the topic we were going to talk about this week and I haven't really brought up sleep with a lot of people, but just, it's funny when these topics come up, I seem to hear more conversations happening Mm. like around the gyms or with Mm -hmm. friends and stuff. And a couple of things that have come up this week are like around snoring, how it's just kind of normalized for men. And that's, I don't know, that's something I feel like there's, there can be health issues, obviously a lot of that in sleep apnea. Um, So just normalizing of like, oh, well guys snore, that's not really a problem or not a red flag. Others of, you know, like timing of when to eat before bed and Mm -hmm. what kind of issues that can Mm -hmm. cause. And then a lot of people, I think just not really understanding the connection between morning routines and how that may affect you know, bedtime or what happens throughout the day. So I think it's awesome that we're going to go through this and give people a little insight to maybe some of those common things that have been normalized, but are actually maybe a little bit of a red flag. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So what's the first bit to get into? Okay. Yeah. So the first module that I have in the program is all about blue light, right? And I mean, the good thing about this is that it's 
the topic of blue light is becoming a lot, there's a lot more awareness around it. In fact, I mean, anybody who has a prescription, you know, eyeglass prescription, it's almost standard now that they put like a little bit of a blue light blocking glaze on the glasses whenever you get your prescription refilled. So it's pretty standard now. So it's pretty mainstream, but most of us still aren't doing a good job at balancing our light exposure in general. So I put this in the module first because it's inexpensive to do. You know, it's, it's very simple and it's, I mean, you will get immediate effects. So um, light exposure in general is a really big topic. But what I'm most concerned about for sleep is blocking that blue light in the evening because if we have artificial light, so by artificial light, I'm talking about any, any light except sun and fire, right? Right. So what all of us do when the sun goes down is we turn all the lights on in our house at night, right? And that artificial light is telling our brains that it's daytime. And it's, I mean, it has to do with the spectrum of the, of the light bulbs, which is predominantly blue, because in the sun, we have all the colors and there's a significant amount of red. Uh, and really, we, we have all the colors in that spectrum. But our light bulbs are predominantly blue and they're overhead. Right. Which is this unconscious signal to our brain that that's the like sun. Like high noon. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So getting that exposure to that blue light suppresses melatonin release. So if we don't get melatonin release, of course, Sleep you know, is gonna be we're effective. not going to start to get sleepy. So we really need to manage that light. I, really, we need to manage our artificial light exposure all day long. Right. I mean, we can't be sitting in front of a TV or TV. Why, why did I say that? I mean, a computer or a TV. Some of us are in front of a TV. Um, phones, computers, tablets, overhead lights. I mean, we have this artificial blue light kind of penetrating us, penetrating our eyeballs all day long. And it really, you know, interferes with our nervous system. And there's also flicker that's happening that we can't perceive, which is really disturbing to our nervous system. And so for sleep purposes, if, if we're not getting melatonin release and our brain thinks that, that it's the middle of the day because we don't turn the lights off until 10 or 11 at night, um, it's no wonder that we lay down and our minds are racing and we can't fall asleep. Right. So there's a number of really simple things that you can do to block the blue light. And one is just being aware of how much we're turning the lights on. We don't need every light on in the house, right? right. Like, this is what my parents do. They live in a 3,500 square foot house and they have every single room, <laughs> the lights on in every single room. Right. Like, why, why are you guys doing this? You it's not necessary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so keeping the lights turned off or you can use like orange light bulbs. Okay. Um, and the red, you could use red or orange typically are, are the colors we're going after. And I like to use these strategically. Like obviously not, someone's not going to use those in every room in their house. I mean, the kitchen, you know, if you have an orange light, that's kind of weird, but like in your bedroom, you shouldn't Maybe be like your cold. lamps and things like exactly. that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, I have a lot of clients actually who will just in their bedroom, like they read at night and they'll do that with the orange light bulb with the lamp next to their oh, nice. um, bed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, strategically using it like that, I use candles still. I mean, people think, I don't know, like I'm I started I'm using like, candles. I think after our last conversation, we talked a little bit about oh, light yeah. exposure and mm-hmm. yeah, my boyfriend and I now that's kind of like the, the nightly routine is we'll go candle lit. 
nice. you know, as we're kind of winding down for the night rather than having any, it used to be just like one of the, like maybe entryway lights on. So at least mm-hmm. a little bit dimmer, but now the mm-hmm. candlelight is really nice. That is a, a fun kind of part of the evening routine. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the ambiance is calming. Very much. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So candles and then just blue light blocking glasses. Yeah. Which, I mean, there's so many out there now. Um, and you can get all kinds of different styles and they make them that are really fashionable now. So you don't look like a huge dork, but <laughs> the blue light blocking glasses for me were a total life changer. I mean, it, it, it changed everything for me. And I mean, it's just so, so imperative to manage that blue light exposure in the evening yeah. so that you get that melatonin, uh, melatonin release. And, you know, melatonin is one of the main antioxidants in our body that, that is, helps with DNA repair. Right. Um, so it's really, really important to optimize our melatonin release. You know, I mean, it's helping us fight cancer essentially. Right. Um, so we really need to pay attention to that. And that's, that's the first module. I have a question about melatonin because I think people are tuned into melatonin. They know that it helps with sleep. I don't know that they know maybe some of the other benefits and properties mm-hmm. that it has, but um, I think one of their ways to deal with poor sleep and knowing that melatonin helps with it is that they'll supplement yeah. with melatonin. And I've heard some conflicting things on this, that yeah. supplementing with it also kind of suppresses your body's natural production mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. So is the controlling the blue light exposure obviously is a, probably a better option than, than supplementing with it? Or when do you see it fit to supplement? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of people taking melatonin all the time. Right. Because like you said, there's that negative feedback loop. So if we're getting it exogenously all the time, then our body just kind of gets lazy and says, oh, well, I don't need to make it. Right. So I'm not a fan of long-term use. However, there are times where it can be a benefit. Like if you're traveling, if you're crossing multiple time zones and you want to, you know, help to reset your circadian rhythm of the new time zone you're in, it can be helpful there. And of course, when you come back, same thing. Um, so I, if that's a situation that somebody's dealing with, I say, you know, a week to two weeks is good to kind of get your circadian rhythm back. But I'm not a huge fan of taking it longer than that. However, you know, it's really helpful to actually support our body's defenses against EMS. So in today's world, I'm starting to question whether or not we should be supplementing a little bit more with melatonin if we're in this environment, this high EMF environment that we can't control Yeah, um, because we need those defenses. It's not ideal. I haven't really come to that conclusion yet, but I'm kind of exploring that option because for those of us that just can't get away from this huge, like if you're a pilot or, you know, an airline stewardess or whatever your job is, something like that, that just hugely, hugely bombarding you with these EMFs all the time then there may be a case to take melatonin consistently, even though I'm not a huge fan of it, but we're kind of battling some of these bigger issues just from our right. modern world. It's kind of like a lesser of two evils yeah. <laughs> you know, thing. It's right. like choose, right. choose that versus, you know, any other types of medications or, you know, something to try to feel a little bit more balanced exactly. in your sleep. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Okay. So does that kind of take us into circadian rhythm? You've brought up a couple of times. Yep. So the second Um, module is all about circadian rhythm. And that's just understanding like sunrise to sunset and kind of getting our bodies to match that cycle. Yeah, exactly. And I'm surprised so many people have not heard about circadian rhythm 
So I guess it's, it's not as a common topic as I thought, but yeah. So our body has its own internal clock. It, just like the sun does, right? Sun mm-hmm. comes up every day, sun goes down. The animals do their things at different times of the day. I mean, the whole earth has its own clock and we do too. Um, you know, it's our, our own circadian rhythm, our own body clock um, has a very unique rhythm, but we are very out of sync with that. Um, we're very out of touch with that because we turn lights on in the middle of the night. We extend, we artificially extend our day so when we're looking at screens, we have lights on, this circadian clock is just blown because we're getting these different signals about you know, what's actually happening. So it's super important for people to get the circadian rhythm back so they're sleeping at appropriate times. You know, we should be going to bed by 10 every night and waking up at you know, six or seven. And a lot of people aren't doing that. That's really kind of the optimal time for sleeping. And it starts the very first thing when you wake up, you know, like you mentioned, the behaviors that you do in the morning help to reset your circadian rhythm for the entire day. So it's not like we can just, you know, block blue light at night. We have to actually consider our circadian rhythm for the, throughout the the entire day. Yeah. And so the first thing that I recommend people do is go outside first thing in the morning, Mm. you know, and it, people struggle with this, but I mean, it's worth every second of it, you know, it's cold or it's hot or people don't want to go outside, but you you just, you just have to, it's non-negotiable. Yeah. I said the same thing for, uh, some clients I had made even a little like morning routine video. And the first thing I said, there was like, let that sunshine hit you right in the eyeballs in the morning. (laughs) The first thing, open up those drapes and just Mm -hmm. let that light in. It is, it is good sleep. Definitely starts first thing in the morning. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, there's multiple ways to get your circadian rhythm in sink, but that is crucial. And that's the first step getting outside first thing in the morning and then seeing the sun throughout the day, because, you know, if we're inside all day and we're in a windowless environment, we are, we miss those cues. Totally. It's kind of like, have you ever been to, you know, you go to a movie at like three and you know, it's day out. And when you come out, it's like six and it's dark. Yep. And you're like, oh my God. (laughs) It messes with you. Yeah. It's (laughs) totally confusing. So it's (laughs) kind of the same thing. We're not getting those our body's not getting cues about what time it is. And that really disrupts our circadian rhythm. So that of course impacts sleep in a lot of ways. I really think about this a lot with um, one of my first businesses that I started on my own. It was in Kuwait and it was geared towards military contract workers. And it was a food prep program because they work six hours or sorry, six days a week, 12 hour shifts, plus their drive time to and from base, which you know, can add up to a few hours in a day. It's rough. So that one day that you get off, like the last thing those guys want to do is go grocery shopping and meal prep and, and all that. So a friend and I had created a food prep program where we just made healthy home cooked meals and delivered it to them twice a week so that they could eat well. Yeah. It was a great business. I absolutely loved it. And it turned, you know, very social and and Mm -hmm. meeting other Americans that were out there. It was pretty cool. But I just think about so much like seeing some of those guys who had joined my program you know, when they first got out there first on the job and then, you know, watching them throughout the year of just physically changes that you would see in them because of such a rough sleep schedule, you know, and it's, there's no time for really like, you know, social interaction and social life. And then also that circuit, especially if they're on the night shift. I mean, that's just how, I mean, I know like, uh, you know, testosterone issues were a big thing for them, you know, after that. And so I think a lot of them, you know, reached to, you know, supplementing, 
in different ways mm-hmm. to kind of help with that. But it is, I think about those shift workers. So somebody who yeah. is working night shift, like you mentioned, going to sleep at 10 and waking up around six. So anybody who's working like in a night shift schedule, you know, what kind of, what kind of suggestions do you have? That's, that? that's such a good question. And, and, and a really tough situation. And right. I, yeah, I do actually address that specifically in the course because oh, cool. yeah, because it's a big issue. And I realize that there's, a, I mean, you know, hospital workers, drivers, Nurses, yeah, uh, EMS, um, emergency responders. Yeah. There's a lot of people that work night shifts and we need them. It's important. My heart goes out to them because it's very difficult. And when you look at the research showing the health implications of shift workers, I mean, it's very sad. So much more illness and disease among shift workers. So, you know, what I'm always suggesting to people is if you get the opportunity to go to a day shift, you should absolutely jump on that. You know, it's usually a lot of times when people enter a career like a nurse, you know, she's put on the night shift. She, he is put on the night shift because you're kind of, you know, the lot on the, the bottom rung there. Right. And at some point, uh, you, you generally will have an opportunity to move to days. And I always recommend that if anybody has that opportunity. If you don't, you know, this is where some of like the light boxes will come in handy. They're not, I mean, they're, they're nowhere near the same frequencies as the sun, but I know a lot of shift workers that use them and feel dramatically better. Okay. So trying to mimic that. What is the light box? So there's multiple different light boxes. Like happy light is one, or what are some other ones? Lux, Lux maybe is a brand, but they're, they're it's essentially a box that you sit in front of that has this, uh, as close to the spectrum of the sun through a mm-hmm. light bulb. Okay. And so you sit in front of it for you know ten twenty minutes to get that light exposure. If you Got can't it. get the sun, exposure. right? And now they're making a lot of lights that are red that you I would say like an infrared sauna or something. Is yeah. that? Yes. Yeah. So, so, um, the saunas are amazing. Um, uh, but there's a lot of just like, they're making now just little panels. So it's like a light box, but it's emitting the red, the far infrared, the near infrared, um, which will mimic some of that sun exposure too, which I would right. absolutely recommend, um, for shift workers. And then, you know, this is a situation where supplementation I think is important and specifically like antioxidants. Mm you know, because the oxidative stress we're getting from that, you know, working nights, uh, lack of sun exposure, vitamin D might be important. You know, yeah. I, mean, I want people to test their levels, of course, but I would suggest vitamin D supplementation, fish oil or cod liver oil, which is naturally, um, naturally has vitamin D. And, well, and uh, vitamin D is also like fat soluble, right? So you need right. a good source of fat to take it with. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So a good, like your biggest meal of the day. Right. It's good for that. So just trying to mimic, you know, that exposure as much as you can, because I, yeah, it's a bummer for people, but you know, do our best. All right. Yeah. All right. Those are good tips though. That's very helpful. Yeah. How about so, like someone, um, I'm just trying to think of some other kind of scenarios of like, uh, do you get into like new moms or, you know, oh, any of that kind of uh, stress and sleep? It's a good question. And I debated <laughs> that, um, but there's not a lot. That There's, can, yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's important to make sure that your children are following all of these rules as well. Right. You know, so if we can help our kids, I mean, I, you know, an infant is one thing, but if we can help our kids get trained their circadian rhythm, yeah. I mean, babies need morning sunlight too. Right. And right. we're not doing that. You know? Right. 
So or night lights in their room and, they, and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Wi-Fi yeah. routers, cell yep. phones, whatever. Yep. If we put all these things in place for our kids as well, yeah. then that's going to help them sleep through the night. Good also. habits to start with. Yeah. Yeah. And they make nightlights that are orange, you know, little orange mm. light bulbs. So if, if your kid has to have a nightlight, just make sure it's orange. Orange. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a really tough one. I mean, my heart again goes out to new parents, <laughs> but I think people really aren't paying attention to these circadian rhythm steps for their kids. So right. Right. That, that should go a long way. No, that's a good point. That's a good lesson to have in there. It is something, and it's funny you mentioned like you're surprised at how many people don't think about it. And when you mentioned you've been going through this for like 15 years, right. you know, is how long your research goes. And it is, I had this conversation with somebody else the other day too, of like those little things that you end up kind of taking for granted or you don't understand can be so impactful and mind blowing for somebody who's just yeah. hasn't, you know, not, become not been aware, been it. turned on. Yeah. Turned on yeah. to it. So that's great. Yeah. Love yeah. it. And the next module is. Yes. So the next module is EMF. EMF. Okay. And we talked all about that in the yeah. first show. So I, I have know if you put want to get a, that one. I have put a silver screen over my uh, router. Oh, <laughs> in my cool. House. Yeah, that is one change that I have made. Yeah, and then we continue. Yeah, no phones and things in the bed. Uh, my boyfriend has stopped sleeping with his watch on. Oh, <laughs> so, sweet. Yeah, it has it. been noticed um, a lot. Snoring is something that we deal with. So when we get to the snoring topic, I will mm-hmm. be interested <laughs> mm-hmm. to hear more cool. about that. But yeah. other than that, yeah, the EMF mitigation, that has been just something yeah, I'm just much more aware of, like the Bluetooth on my phone and things yeah. like that. And I yeah, think yeah. I just feel better just knowing that I've kind of shut those things down. Mm-hmm. You know, physically and stuff I know, I, I've been sleeping a little bit better and that could just be, I don't know, that could be a variety of, yeah, of things as well. Sure. But um, I do feel better just knowing that I have kind of limited the exposure of those types of things. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, taking steps to be proactive about your health makes you feel better, right? Yeah. Yeah. So why not? And you, yeah, it's just making a choice that I think, yeah, you know, can have an impact and mm-hmm. yeah, you feel good about it. And if anything, it's just getting away from the phone a little bit more <laughs> and the yeah, devices well, a little bit right. more. I think and, that's a big part of it. Absolutely. And the, yeah. I mean, the freedom you get when you stop staring at your phone so much, mm-hmm. it's, you open up so much time. Yeah. You know? I did. I did also play with the settings on my phone of changing it to grayscale oh, and yeah. having no color on the phone. Oh, <laughs> it's like, it is a great one. If you can challenge somebody to do that for a, an entire day, it's, remarkable if somebody could get through that, but you're, you're so uninterested in what's on your phone wow. when it's in grayscale. You just, you, you can't even stand to really look at it. That's um, super fascinating. So funny. I didn't even yeah. know you could do that. I mean, I'm yep. telling people to put the red setting on at night, but you can, but there's also a grayscale yeah. option. And, uh, I played around with that and it was every time I picked up my phone, I was like, I don't even want to look at it. <laughs> Gosh, that's so cool. It makes, makes everything. Yeah. Way less interesting. <laughs> what a great tip. I love it. Yeah. Especially awesome. with kids or babies you know, as well, like they're really drawn to colors and, you know, yeah. things like that. And if you can kind of turn that on, it's, it kind of has the same effect. Like they're more drawn to colors. Like we're more drawn to colors, you know? So huh. when you turn it in that grayscale, there's just not as much of a desire or attention yeah, towards it. Wow. Awesome. Good tip. Yeah. Cool. All right. So after EMF. Okay. What then we, we get have into? Uh, blood sugar balance. Okay. Which is something that nobody's thinking about for sleep. Right. But it's so important, so, so important because when our blood sugar it dips too low, for example, then cortisol is released. 
because cortisol is what tells the liver to release glucagon, which is to rebalance the blood sugar in our blood. So it's interesting that at any one time, the amount of sugar we have in our bloodstream is about three quarters of a teaspoon, which is really a tiny amount. And it's tightly, tightly regulated. Um, And, you know, if you know anyone with diabetes, which most of us do, we know that when that gets too high or too low, there's blood, you know, sugar in our bloodstream, that that's a serious, very serious situation. So the body works very hard to regulate that balance. And when our blood sugar dips a little bit too low, you know, cortisol then, you know, starts this cascade so that we can bring that blood sugar back into balance. But when cortisol is released, that's very stimulating. Right. So when we don't have our blood sugar balanced throughout the day, I mean, all of us have experienced this when we start to get really hungry and our blood sugar drops, we get cranky and irritable. We can't really think clearly, you know, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. But what we don't realize is that this is often happening during the evening, at night while we're mm-hmm. sleeping. And so we often wake up in the middle of the night because our blood sugar is so low because we get that cortisol release. And really it starts just like with circadian rhythm, we have to balance our blood sugar all throughout the day for it to be very stable, even in the middle of the night. Because if we're going through these blood sugar fluctuations all the time, then our adrenals are, are impacted and our adrenals are not functioning as efficiently as we want them to. And so this creates more of those fluctuations and more of that cortisol release. So we have to be balancing our blood sugar throughout the day. And, you know, this is going to be different for everybody as far as the macronutrient ratios. I mean, we have to really pay attention to how much fat we need, how much carbs we need, and how much protein. And everybody's going to be a little bit different. You know, if you're training really hard, you know, you're going to need more carbohydrates, uh, you know, unless you're doing keto or something like that. If you're pregnant, uh, you know, you're needs are going to be very different. If you're elderly, if you're young, whatever it is. Right. Uh, So everybody's needs are going to be a little bit different, but it's really important that we dial in the specific needs so that we keep our blood sugar really stable. It's really supportive for our nervous system. And then hopefully we won't get that huge spike in the middle of the night, which a lot of us are, and we don't realize that that's why we're waking up. Okay. So does that play into, you know, kind of that, I don't want to say like a myth, you know, like eating before bed or how long mm. to eat before you go to bed. Is that, does that really uh, have an impact on the blood sugar balance? Well, or? so that again is, it's going to be person dependent. Okay. So ideally I would like people to, you know, stop eating three, four hours before bed. But for some people that's going to have the opposite effect of what we want. So I actually have a snack before bed because for me, that helps me with, balancing my blood sugar overnight. And there's many reasons why I have that. I mean, I have a history of Lyme disease and really high mercury issues and, you know, some other stuff that makes it more difficult for me to balance my blood sugar. So a snack before bed for me, a small snack can be really, really helpful. And, you know, I have, I have a lot of clients that are like that, but most people should be able to stop eating you know, three, let's say three hours before they go to sleep. And it, it actually is beneficial because if you're eating right before bed, what happens with a lot of us is we eat and then we digest it, you know, let's say an hour, two hours later, and then our blood sugar dips and then we get a spike. And, and that happens often. So, you know, it, it really is person dependent. For me, it helps for most people. 
it's going to have the opposite effect. So for some of us, it's just kind of dialing that in. It's kind of like a trial and error. Yeah, we kind of have, exactly. And actually for a lot of people, it also has to do with how stressed you are. Right. So if you have a newborn, you're, you know, you've got a really stressful job, you're going through a difficult time in your life. Actually, you know, those are the people that having a snack before bed can actually be helpful for because it's this adrenal dysfunction or HTA axis. And so that can be very helpful. And I often recommend for those people to have a little snack by their bed. So when Mm. they do wake up in the middle of the night, if they can have a little snack, and I'm talking like, I don't know, half a banana with some almond butter or you know, a little bit of cheese, if you do dairy and some rice crackers or something like that, just something with a little carbohydrate, a little protein, a little bit of fat. And that can be really, really helpful to just help someone fall back asleep. Because often when that happens, someone will wake up and they're up for three hours. Right. But having that little snack can actually help you to fall back asleep and then sleep through the rest of the night. It's not ideal. I don't like people to eat in the middle of the night, but I prefer that over being awake for three hours. Yeah. Yeah. This is weird. This just kind of popped in my head as we were talking about this, but my boyfriend used to be kind of the person who would wake up like he'd be in a full dead sleep and then wake up and just want to go straight to the kitchen. And I was always oh, like, what are you doing? Like how yeah. you were just dead asleep. How are you even hungry right now? Oh, wow. That makes sense of probably some blood sugar. And it's interesting. Uh-huh. He's been working out a little bit more lately, you know, plus we've made the changes with the, you know, the phones and the light mm-hmm. exposure and the EMF and all that kind of stuff. But I haven't noticed him having mm-hmm. that habit cool. in the last like month or so. So maybe some of that is all kind of tied together. Well, EMFs will actually disrupt your uh, blood sugar. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, all, everything we've already talked, circadian rhythm affects right. blood sugar, blue light, all of it that we were talking about affects blood sugar. So, so just making yeah. some of those simple changes and it's already mm-hmm. made a big impact on just, yeah, being able to stay asleep through the night and maybe controlling some of that blood sugar. Yeah. I didn't really just think about that until now after we've kind of like talked about all this at once. That's awesome. Cool. Good for me too. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So sleep hygiene is the next module. So sleep hygiene, which is something most of us are familiar with, and most of us are hopefully addressing it to some degree. But this is just, you know, your environment, your nightly routine. But there's a lot of it that um, people aren't doing or aren't aware of. So, you know, it starts with some of the EMF, you know, reducing your EMF exposure is going to create a good sleeping environment. So what we want to really focus here on is having our bedroom and our nighttime be our sleeping sanctuary. So our bedroom needs to be as inviting, as clean, as comforting, you know, as conducive to sleep as possible so that our mindset is in this place of this is where I sleep. I mean, I can't believe how many people that I know who have like a computer in their bedroom or their, you know, their little office is in their bedroom. Right. Or they'll have a file cabinet with some of their office documents. And you don't realize that subconsciously you see that. And then what happens? You start thinking about work. Right. Right. right? And then it's, this is not, I mean, your bedroom needs to be, like I said, a a sanctuary for sleep only. And that's That's even like laundry for me. I've like removed like having laundry in the bedroom because then you go in and you're just like, God, I have so much stuff to do. And it's like, no, just clearing that out and getting that out of the way. Totally. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Even if it's just a little bit of clutter. Yep. You know, it's, you don't realize how impactful that is for your brain. And then you get mm-hmm. stimulated and your brain starts going and then yeah. it's over. 
So, you know, whatever you can do to make your bedroom as simple, clean, and inviting as possible. And that might mean you get a new mattress because your mattress is horrible. You mm-hmm. need better bedding. I mean, you mm-hmm. get, you know, you buy some cheap sheets and they're scratchy and that wakes you up at night. So you want it to be really kind of luxurious. The colors matter. You know, you don't want like bright, energizing colors. You want it to be nice and cool and calming to you. And then just habit wise, we're talking about like having a nightly routine. So you're not working until 10 on your computer and then you just, you know, you say, okay, I'm going to bed. Like you need your mind to wind down. You need to go through a habit every night that's giving yourself cues that, oh, it's my bedtime. This is, I do this every night. Oh, okay. I'm winding down. It's, Mm -hmm. it's getting time for sleep. Yeah. And that could be, you know, putting your clothes out for the next day, Mm -hmm. washing your face, brushing your teeth, whatever. Before I start like a lot of those tasks, I'll go and I'll turn on my diffuser with um, Mm -hmm. like some kind of a calming oil or something. I'll let that go in the bedroom while, yeah, we kind of hang out by the candlelight or start bedtime, you know, brushing teeth and all that kind of stuff. And then by the time you get in your room, it kind of already has that sanctuary, you know, Mm -hmm. inviting type type Mm -hmm. feel. So that's like one of my favorite parts of, of a bedtime routine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it gets your subconscious going, oh, bedtime's coming. So you start to get sleepy. Yeah. Um, It's it's pretty cool. And then just other hygiene things like, um, you know, the blue light blocking glasses, of course. Mm -hmm. Some people do a little meditation routine before bed or, you know, some yoga stretches. There's a lot. I mean, it's really, again, this is going to be kind of person dependent as well. Right. And I saw, I think it was in your Facebook group, you had done a little video about this kind of gets into morning routine, but also sleep hygiene, I think, about making your bed. Ah, uh, yes, that's, that's a good topic. So, and I'm actually suggesting not making your bed. Right. For air quality <laughs> purposes. Yeah. So it's so funny because when I'm listening to, you know, health gurus out there and they're always saying, you got to make your bed. You got to first thing in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yep. like, no, don't make your bed. Um, <laughs> mostly just because we are creating this super perfect environment for dust mites and bacteria and, you know, microbial growth to grow because we sweat, we perspire at night, we all do. And so we have this really moist, warm environment, which dust mites and bacteria love. And then we, you know, we get out of bed and we make our bed and they're going to proliferate like that. And there's a lot of people out there that are having allergic responses to dust mites. Right. And they don't know it. And that's keeping them up at night because they're having, they're getting congestion and they're having respiratory issues. I, as a building biologist, um, you know, we really recommend letting the bed air out. And if you have a window that hits the bed, opening that window to let the sun sanitize it is awesome. So people really struggle with this. But what I say is, okay, just fold the sheets down really nicely towards the end of the bed. Yeah, you can make it all nice and neat, so you still got that, you know, mental you tidiness know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it feels like you made the bed, but you're still letting it air out. Yeah. Or you can just let the bed, you know, pull the covers down and then go back in two hours and make it or whatever. That makes um, sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's yeah. When you think about it, it does make sense. It's a great tip. I've started that opening up. Well, we sleep with the window cracked open just a little bit at night anyway, just to get a little bit of fresh air and keep the room a little bit cooler. Um, I guess, is that something else like sleep hygiene considered about the temperature of your sleeping environment? Absolutely. Yes. Um, we, 
most people are sleeping way too warm. Mm-hmm. And we set our thermostats and leave them at 72 degrees year round. Right. And, um, you know, if we were sleeping outside in nature, as we've kind of evolved to do, we would get much cooler in the middle of the night. So a lot of times if you're waking up at, you know, two, three, four AM, it's because you're too hot. Mm-hmm. Because we should expect that temperature to go down quite a bit during because it's coldest at about four, five AM. So we should our body temperature should be dropping all night long. Okay. Um, so I yes, I am a huge proponent of sleeping with the windows open. I think it's really important for that air circulation. And I mean, if it's in the summer and it's hot, well, it'll, it'll still, the temperature is still dropping in the middle of the night, but you know, some people use things like a chili pad. Have you heard of a chili pad? No, I haven't. It's really cool. I actually interviewed the owner of the company for my program. I I have one of uh, an interview with her inside the course and it's all about this product that they make. It's like a sheet and you put it on your bed, but it, it runs water through tubes in the, it's like a pad. And then you set the temperature for what you want it to be during the night. So you can set it to cool down like at two, three in the morning or something. So it helps to regulate your body temperature overnight. And it's super cool. It can be really bad. I'm making a note of that right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's Um, awesome. The chili pad, it's called chili pad and Uller. Um, And she actually gave me, she gave me a coupon code for like 15 or 20, 15% off, 20% off or something. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, so I could give that to you for if any of your listeners want to check it out. Yeah, that'd be um, great. It's it's cool. It can be a total game changer for people because that temperature regulation, especially you know women who are going through menopause or having night sweats or people with hormone stuff, we don't realize that one of the reasons we're waking up is because we're you know temperature overheated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, amazing. There's a lot with sleep hygiene. Like it's funny you hear that term and you don't really think about all that stuff being involved. That's yeah, great. there, there is. And I mean, we get, a, you know, we go a lot deeper inside the course just because it's, we got to kind of identify our specific needs, you know? Right. Right. I mean, none of this, well, a lot of it is kind of a blanket statement for everybody, but <clears throat> helping people really dial in what they're dealing with is, is kind take of inventory. And then what challenge are you, what level of challenge are you up for? Yeah. And, right. <laughs> and, you know, exactly. revamping that. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So that leads us into stress and exercise. Yes. (laughs) So everybody knows this. Everybody knows that they have to move their body and they have to manage their stress. Uh, And I lump these two together just because exercise is the ultimate, um, you know, stress relief. So the problem that I find though, is that nobody's actually putting stress management techniques into place. People are exercising. But what I see in today's world, and a lot of people that come to me, you know, it's a lot of paleo people, CrossFitters, people are getting into a lot of this more high intensity exercise, and that's all Mm -hmm. awesome. And I love it. But people are going overboard. And if they're super stressed out, and they're not sleeping, and you know, whatever their lifestyle habits are, and then they're killing it at the gym, they're really doing themselves a disservice. Yeah. Because they're not exercising appropriately. So stress management piece of this is critically important for the adrenal, the HPA axis, like I mentioned earlier. So we have to support our nervous system. Otherwise, everything else falls apart. If we have all of this cortisol, high cortisol going all the time, we're not going to sleep. We're not going to perform well. We can't balance our blood sugar. You know, our mental health suffers. I mean, everything suffers. 
It's all connected in that load. And that's something I was just talking to a couple of other people about. And it's like people who are typically driven towards joining, you know, those high intensity boot camp classes or across that class and stuff there, somebody who's generally already high cortisol driven, yeah. right? Like they've seen somebody else have success in losing the weight or, you know, getting stronger, or whatever it is. And they're kind of already in that mode of like, right. I need to make this change. I want to make this change and just, you know, stressed out, you know, probably digestively, emotionally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> environmentally, relationships, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And then getting into this community, you know, it is very community driven, which is awesome, but it can definitely lead into, yeah, the overtraining side of things and and just packing that on and then just elevating that cortisol stress even more. It's probably the last thing that person really needs at the moment. Exactly. I mean, then they just go down this really dangerous path of, I mean, if somebody gets into, you know, we could debate adrenal fatigue and whether that's real or, you know, I mean, what that proper terminology is, but we'll just call it that for the sake of the argument because people know what we're talking about. But you don't want to go down that path. You're going to have to dig yourself out of a really deep hole. And I mean, nobody, you know, wants to go there. So we have to mitigate our stress to support our nervous system. You know, we need to get into our parasympathetic nervous system as much as possible because we're all in our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight. We're Mm -hmm. in that all the time. I mean, Americans are not good at, you know, getting into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest. And we don't digest our food well, like you mentioned. Yeah. And it just leads to these long-term issues that is very, very difficult to overcome. So we have to have to mitigate stress. And I mean, the great thing about that is that there's, you can choose what works best for you. You know, Mm -hmm. it could be meditation. It could be yoga. It could be prayer. It could be laughter. It could be, um, walking, playing with your kids, playing with your pets, whatever. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways to do it, but we have to make it a priority. Yeah. And, and I hear from my clients all the time, the more they do this, the more productive they become, Right. the better they feel, the better they sleep, the better they digest. I mean, everything falls into place. So, you know, if you have to choose between going to your workout and mitigating stress, uh, I'm probably going to pick the stress mitigation. Right. Yeah. Right. That is something that I'll talk about a lot with women specifically, as well as understanding the hormone cycle. And there are definitely mm-hmm. certain times within that where your body is more, you know, carb sensitive, or maybe, uh-huh. you know, fat is a little bit better. Like your prime fat burning time is actually the time where you want to be more tapped into your parasympathetic nervous system versus your sympathetic. And that's really hard for people to understand or women right. to understand because they think that, you know, they need to be little cardio bunnies to drop the fat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, nope, mm-hmm. actually your prime time to yep. use fat for energy and, and lose a little is actually the times where you should be going for like a conversational, you know, pace <laughs> cardio, yeah. like yeah. a walk or some yoga or some, you know, a gentle bike mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And, I yeah. I missed part. Totally. I've noticed over the years that I used to kill it in the gym all the time. And I used to, I, I was one of these people that would go to the gym like two to three hours a day. It was ridiculous. But I, I would notice at the times where I couldn't make it, that like my weight management was much easier. Yeah. When I wasn't killing it at the gym. Yeah. Yeah. I went through a hip injury where I was um, kind of forced to to stay out of the gym for a while. I was like, anytime I did any kind of training, it just, it flared up and it was awful. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely a signal, you know, from the body mm-hmm. to back off. But I did find that during that time, this is when I was more tapped into, you know, eating a little bit slower, <laughs> being a little yeah. bit more mindful of that kind yeah. of stuff. I had a pretty good morning routine in place and then really tapping into that time you know, where I knew it was prime fat burning and just 
going for walks, like walking was something I could do. So I was walking like three miles every morning and I found myself like maintaining and and feeling better than I had in a long time, you know, being in the gym, killing it with, you know, heavy, heavy barbells and things like that. So Mm -hmm. it is people Mm -hmm. underestimate, I think the power of just a a good walk. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Amazing. All right. And then food and drink. Yeah. So, I mean, this is pretty self-explanatory, but you know, kind of identifying what foods are supporting us and what foods are not. And this includes beverages. A lot of people are drinking a lot of stuff and they don't count it as food, but it is. I suppose that goes into like caffeine consumption and and sodas and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we could be eating a lot of foods that are inflammatory to us, which are perfectly healthy foods, but are not supporting our body. So this module just kind of gets into how to identify you know, which foods are working for us and which foods might be working against us. It's self-explanatory, but it can get a little bit complicated if we're dealing with something like an oxalate issue. So, I mean, several years ago, I took um, an organic acids test, which is a urine test to look at different metabolites in the body. And I had no clue that I had exponentially high oxalates. And oxalates are like little crystals that can really do a lot of damage to our body's tissues. Okay. And so where do oxalates come from? Oh, you know, kale, spinach, you know, all of these really super popular. Healthy, yeah. Superfoods. Super <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, these are the superfoods, right? And I was sucking down smoothies with all of this stuff in it all the time. And I had no idea. So that was super helpful for me to identify. I had to go on a low oxalate diet and there's a lot of different ways to manage that but it was super helpful. And I mean, I didn't realize that that was causing a lot of nervous system issues for me and it was dramatically impacting my sleep. You know, and that's just one example. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that people are doing, you know, it could be gut infections or microbial overgrowth or, you know, whatever the food is feeding. So the module just kind of dives into how to identify what's going on and how to figure out which foods are working for you and which foods aren't. Is that how to identify it by doing a test as well, like a urine test? Or is it maybe how to identify it without having to go through that? Both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's great to have the lab work done, but mm-hmm. the lab work is expensive. And I realize yeah. not everybody wants to do that. Right. So, you know, keeping a food journal, I mean, it's hard for people to do, but that is the best way. It's very helpful. Yeah. yeah. It's the yeah. best way to identify. And then, you know, maybe avoiding a certain group of foods, like maybe it's nightshades for one person. So you avoid that for a month or two and it's challenging for people. I mean, anytime you want to restrict a food source from somebody, you know, that's difficult, but, you know, understanding, understanding the different classifications of what foods can be doing to you, having some awareness around that and then paying attention to how your body's responding can actually shed a lot of light. I mean, a lot of light bulbs will go off for people. Right. Right. Or you mentioned nightshades. Can you clarify what are considered nightshades? Oh yeah, sorry about that. Nightshades are what? Tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, white potatoes. I might be missing one. Those are the main ones. Mm-hmm. And nightshades can be really inflammatory for a lot of people. So people mm-hmm. with joint pain or, or arthritic pain, that kind of thing, a lot of times nightshades can be exacerbating that. What is it about them that... It's a certain alkaloid in the nightshades for a certain subset of people, it's just causing this inflammatory response, uh, specifically in the joints. Okay. So yeah, a lot of people do a lot better when they take out- When they take out some of that. Peppers yeah. and tomatoes and eggplants, unfortunately. 
Yeah, it is. It's interesting. It's kind of the opposite because we hear about these things being so healthy for us. But yeah. just understanding your own, like you said, your body has its own little universe happening inside of it. Exactly. And <laughs> you have exactly. to understand yeah. Yeah. what's going on with it. Amazing. Right. And then some other issues um, around sleep, like we've mentioned snoring just briefly, mm-hmm. but I know oral health is something that you had also mentioned. And that's one that I'm particularly very interested because I think that goes a lot with the snoring, but I think that is one that if people, it's relatively new and I don't think a lot of people are thinking about maybe oral health and and sleep. So oral health and sleep is incredibly fascinating. Mm -hmm. So are you familiar with the work of uh, Weston A. Price? No. Okay. So Weston Price was a dentist in the early 1900s. And, um, he started to, let's see, I think his brother maybe worked for like national geographic or something and did a lot of world travel. And he started to see, they started to have these conversations about people that they would meet in other countries and how their jaws and their facial structure was completely different. So being a dentist, Weston A. Price was like, this is super interesting. You know, how, why is their bone structure and their facial structure is so different than you know what's happening in America or in England or right. um, the Western world. So he started to travel internationally and look at these people eating traditional diets, and he was comparing them with people who were eating kind of you know a Western modernized diet. And what he found was that people eating their traditional diets, you know, did not have teeth crowding. Um, you know, like in America, everybody needs braces, right? Because their teeth are all smushed together and they've got these really tiny mouths and that's not normal. You know, our teeth should not be, you know, kind of overlapping each other. We shouldn't have to have our wisdom teeth pulled. But what he found is when we're eating these really high grain-based diets without this more or less nutrient void, our palates and our bone structure is actually developing inappropriately. So it's very small. So if you look at people eating traditional diets, like they're fermenting their foods, they're eating foods that you know they're, they used to hunt and gather or just traditional diets, their bone structure is much wider. Their palates are much wider. And that, I mean, they have room for all their teeth. You know, they don't have this crowding in the palate. And what we know now is that this, these smaller palates really obstruct airflow and obstruct breathing. So we don't get good oxygenation and we're having problems getting adequate air and, and just these, these respiratory issues because our palates are so small. Interesting. I know it's super interesting. So there are actually dentists and probably other practitioners that make devices that you can wear kind of like a retainer that helps to kind of stretch out your palate so that you can get you know, better breathing capacity, better oxygenation, because when we don't have good oxygenation, our nervous system's freaking out and it's thinking it's in trouble. Yeah. Right. So we're in this kind of fight or flight mode all the time because we're not getting good respiration. I had braces when I was younger. My sister had just messaged me the other day because my niece is going in to get hers. And she asked me if I had a palate expander. And I didn't know what that was, but apparently my niece is having to get one. So this is very interesting. Well, that's awesome. That's really good for her. That's going to be, I mean, that's going to have a lot of health um, benefits for her if they're expanding her Expanding that, yeah. Cool. 
Amazing. Yeah. She showed me like the device that they have to put uh-huh. in there to get. I mean, it looks like, it looks kind of painful and awful, but probably is. you know, knowing, yeah, long-term of the, the benefits of that, that's awesome that at least her dentist mm-hmm. is in touch with that. That's amazing. Yeah. So maybe it's becoming a little bit more mainstream or I wonder yeah. if that dentist has a little bit of a holistic yeah. awareness or something. Oh, I hope so. Then, you know, as far as the snoring goes, that's going to be part of it. And then also I have in the last couple of years started taping my mouth closed at night. I've heard of people doing this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome because when we're, when we breathe through our mouths, typically in nature, the only reason we would breathe through our mouth is because we're running away. Right. Right. We have to take a fight huge, or flight. Yeah. It's <laughs> fight or flight. Um, Cause when we're just sitting here calm and relaxed, our mouth is not open. Um, we're breathing through our nose. So nasal breathing is very important for nervous system, sympathetic mm-hmm. ner- or parasympathetic nervous system. But when we're breathing with our mouth open, that's telling our body I'm in a state of distress and we don't get good oxygenation and it, it's, it's not supportive for sleep. And so, so many people, if, especially if you're sleeping on your back, um, in the middle of the night, their mouth falls open and they start breathing through their mouth and then, or you're snoring and then that's not conducive for getting into really deep and good quality sleep. So if you tape your mouth shut, actually that's going to prevent any mouth breathing. And I have heard from a lot of people that that actually um, helps significantly for snoring. Okay. So, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, it's weird. It's a little uncomfortable, <laughs> but it's I really suppose you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. You get used to it. Uh-huh. And then, I mean, I noticed it like last night, actually my tape I had a roll of tape and I threw my sheets in the wash and I didn't realize the tape was in there. Oh no. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, sugar. So I didn't what? have tape last night. Oh, I okay. noticed. Like I noticed in the middle of the night, I woke up probably three times like, and I was like breathing through my mouth. Yeah. Like, oh, this is why I'm waking up. Yeah. So, what kind of tape do you um, need? You can just or get you like use... the, that white medical tape. Okay. It's like micropore, what's it called? I don't know. Just the little small white rolls of medical tape. Actually, okay. I saw on Amazon a couple of weeks ago, they're actually making tape specifically for this purpose now. Amazing. I know. Okay. It's probably more yeah. expensive, but it's probably, yeah. I don't know, maybe a little bit more comfortable. And I guess it has like a little slit in the middle. So I don't know for comfort. Okay. I haven't tried it, but okay. people are catching on to it. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's also with open mouth breathing at night, I know we've talked a little bit, you know, like gut and health you know, being very important for being in the right, you know, circadian rhythm and blood sugar balance and all that kind of stuff. But I think your mouth also has its own microbiome Mm -hmm. and breathing through your mouth, I think invites a lot of bad bacteria and things that can throw off the biome there as well. So dental health wise, I know that that's something that's kind of tied to it. Yeah. And drying it, when you're breathing through your mouth, you get all that dry air. Yeah. It does negatively affect the microbial balance in your mouth too. Bodies are know, amazing. So cool. I know. Mind blown. Are there any other issues uh, that you wanted to kind of touch base on within the course? Oh, gosh. Or? I mean, that's, we just gave people a lot. A lot. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there's a lot more in the course that we go into, like, you know, hormone balancing and how to identify if you have a gut infection. Right. You know, all of these kind of little bit more complicated situations. But, I mean, I think that's a really good overview. If people are mm-hmm. going to put into place some of these things that we talked about, that's going to be 
very, very dramatic for a lot of people. So, right. Right. And just, I know it can seem overwhelming of all the topics that we talked about, but like we said, just, you know, tapping into maybe one and just taking a little inventory and some awareness first, I think before going through, but if they are interested in kind of going through this guided process of really figuring it out with you in the course, what is the process for, um, getting enrolled and, you know, like time commitment of the course and, and, uh, you know, interaction and things like what is kind of the. Yeah. So if you want to kind of check it out and look into the course a little bit more, you can go to the sleepeasymethod.com forward slash enroll. And that's, you know, the page where I list everything that's involved, everything that you get in the program. It's ideally an eight week course. So somebody will go through one module per week. And at the end of eight weeks, they'll have all of the information and all of the the action steps that they need to take. Um, so I have like checklists and handouts in each module. So I make it really easy for people to, you know, go through each of the steps because I mean, it's a lot, you know, we're, when we're mitigating EMFs, we're doing the blue light, we're doing circadian rhythm. It's a lot of stuff. Um, but you have lifetime access to the course. So you can oh, take amazing. it at your own pace. Cool. Um, you know, so you can go through each module and just, you know, slowly make changes as you go along. And then we have weekly Q and a sessions. So if somebody's really struggling and you know they can't quite dial it in at those weekly Q and A sessions. That's an amazing time to get you know one on one support and you know also to kind of figure out what what's working for other people. So we have a Facebook community, which is really supportive and great. Yeah, you can sign up for the program at thesleepeasymethod.com forward slash enroll. And then I'm going to do a webinar on the 27th of February that just kind of talks through the program and it's, I go into a little bit deeper on some of these topics and give people, you know, some fun bonuses and stuff, some handouts and guides if people want to learn more about it. And then if anybody, you know, has questions, just reach out to me and ask. I'm totally available. I'm one of these people that answers every single email and every single phone call. I can't leave an email or a, or a phone call, you know, un, unaddressed. So unaddressed, yeah, yeah, just reach out and I'd be happy to discuss it. Amazing. Okay. So February 27th is the enrollment start date or deadline? The 27th is the webinar. That webinar. Okay. People can sign up for the program now. Okay. Great, uh, it's great. all ready to go. People can sign up. Um, and the deadline is March 5th. March 5th. Okay. Yeah. And then the course starts on March 8th. Correct. Okay. Yep. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming back and talking to us about that. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad we could get this information out there and it's always fun to chat with you guys. So thanks so much. Absolutely. And then we'll link those things definitely in our show notes for people that are interested in looking forward to that. I don't want to give direct people to too many things, but the current Facebook group that you have, you want to give us a shout out of that name? Oh yeah. It's called the Easy Sleepers. Easy Sleepers. Yeah. I've joined that one. I love it. So yeah. Great one for people to keep up on all this information with as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Kathy. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.